Welcome to Inspired Insights, where we share our conversations with industry experts as we give insight into workforce trends and changes impacting HR and financial professionals. We will cover everything from employee engagement to compliance and regulations impacting your workforce success. Inspired Insights Podcast. I'm Brian Gorman. I'm a sales and marketing professional with over 20 years working and leading sales teams in the human capital management space. And today I'm joined by my friend, Jeff McEwen. Hey, Brian. Good to see you again. Yeah, I'm Jeff and started my career doing payroll in the Navy and then moved into human resources back in the late 90s and have been loving it ever since. I've been doing HR in a range of industries, hospitality, manufacturing, healthcare, but over the last 15 years really focused here in the HCM software space. Great. Well, today we are super excited to have uh, Steve Robertson um, on on the show. Steve is the author of the book Aliens Among Us, 10 Surprising Truths About Gen Z. He's also the CEO of Bold Education, an organization specializing in youth to adult programming that turns curiosity into passion and skill. Having worked with over 200,000 high potential youth from around the globe for the last 20 years, Steve is a generational expert who has experienced firsthand how to connect with, influence, and motivate the younger generations. Through his partnerships with the University of Pennsylvania, Yale, Villanova, the National Football League, the Philadelphia 76ers, Brooklyn Nets, and Philadelphia Phillies, his insights have global impact. When he isn't watching a cricket match on the weekends, he's in the trenches focused on recruiting, training, and retention strategies as he manages an international workforce of over 2,000 staff. Welcome, Steve, to the to the Inspired Insights Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Brian. Jeff, I've been so looking forward to this conversation. Great to be with you both. Well, I, I'm really just honored he gave up some time for us, Brian. I, I am I mean, too. The guy is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, today we want to talk about, um, I think the title of today's uh, uh, discussion will be Leading Gen Z. So I don't know, Steve, if you want to maybe start about talking about Gen Z and really kind of what you do, your focus, and and maybe we can start there. That'd be great. Thank you, Brian. Um, over the last 20 years, I've been really fortunate to see each generation kind of cascade through my business as customers um, initially, and certainly then as employees. And, you know, around about 10, 12 years ago, um, from a from a management perspective, an HR perspective, from a talent perspective, there's just a real shift. Um, it was tangible. We we had to adjust our programming. We had to adjust our sales strategies, um, our narrative, and certainly our training. And and as a result of that, it's been uh, it's been almost two decades of understanding, learning, and trying to understand how to to come alongside a generation in the workforce better than we ever have before, right? In order to be successful as a business and. You know that that has led me to so many different places in terms of research and and also on, around the globe. But um, one of the things that really stirs me um, in in pursuing a generation like this is the realization that 42% of the world's population is 
under the age of 25. And by my categorization, 25, 26 is where Gen Z starts, and it's a little bit gray, but depending on who you listen to, between 10 and 25. And so we're talking about almost half the world's population is under that age. And if you look at that age group, 16, 17 to 25 are the only new people coming into the workforce. And so from a perspective of, well, who are we dealing with as businesses? Who are we dealing with as leaders and managers? Um, that shift has not been really verbalized yet. That shift ha hasn't really been um, even received and accepted globally yet. Uh, I think most people just think Gen Z are teenagers going through a phase. And so the problem with that is that a teenager is supposed to snap out of that phase, right? Mm -hmm. And Gen Z is not going to. They are fundamentally wired differently and are going to, and already are, changing the way that this world um, runs. And I'll, I'll just say this and then I'll take a, a pause. They already are, account for 30% of the US population already. They already account for 40% of the consumers in the US. And they are currently responsible for $360 billion in spend. So that's annual. You could say that's monthly, right? But wow. so do we need to pay attention? Yes. Do we think we're paying attention? Yes. Do we realize that they're actually dancing to a different tune? Not yet. Wow. wow. I just re I just realized before we um, before we started to uh, to record that um, I actually have um, three daughters that are all in in Gen Z, and that three hundred sixty billion number it feels like that some months. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you for contributing. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I can relate to that. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Sorry about that. Yeah. No. No. It's good. Hey. Um, one of the things that, that, you know, I guess to the audience, as you can probably imagine, we've talked to Steve a little bit before today and, and Steve, one of the things that came out of our previous call that I'd really like you to get out here early for people is it really hit me. You know, we, we hear this every generation, Oh, the next generation is totally different and they're just, they're this and they're that, and it's horrible and whatever. Right. And, and, you know, where's the world going to be in 10 years? So that's happened forever. But you talked to us last time about something really, really important, I think, and I'd love to have you share it now, which is give us some of that evidence you've got as to why we know this group will be different, right? How you talked to uh, in particular about the fact that they're they're not turning to mom and dad like every generation, every generation before all oh, the kids are different, but they still came and sat around the dinner table and they still had mom and dad in their ear and, and talk about why we know this group is actually more isolated from their predecessors than any generation before and why this group we know is going to be different. Um, Jeff, thank you. I, I, this is such a deep and big conversation and I'm really excited that, um, we take the time to to really understand because you see a change in perspective always precedes a change in behavior, right? And so until there's been a change in perspective, nothing changes. Um, if we have time, I'll tell you a really cool story about, about football, uh, American football, um, <laughs> that, that, that will give you a sense. But l l let me give you a bad analogy. Right, so the bad analogy is this. Every generation prior to Gen Z is blue, the color blue, right? And we know that when you take blue and yellow and you blend them, you get green, okay? So it's, I'm already telling you it's a bad analogy, okay? 
So every generation is blue. And what's made every generation blue is what they live through, what they live in day to day to day, right? And so that's the that's the understanding. And so what's happened primarily because of four things, and I call it the perfect storm. There's four things, technology, um, there's world news. I, you'd have to break each one out just to understand what that means. There's social media, and then there's parenting and leadership. So those four things I call the perfect storm. And so we've got this blue happening, and this perfect storm is introducing yellow into our world, okay? And as a result, we're slowly, all of us, turning green. And that's a great analogy because my book's called Aliens Among Us. Get it? Green aliens. <laughs> but that's not in the book, by the way. I should have been. Oh, man, I should have put that in. So, so, it's so, the sequel. <laughs> but it's the sequel. So the point is this. Gen Z have only ever been green. They have never been blue. They have never been blue and yellow. They've only ever been green. And so those facts that I just mentioned to you, those four factors. And there's actually a grid of 16 factors that I go through when I'm training or speaking to people about understanding this generation and what you should be considering to recruit them or retain them or lead them in the workspace, even at home for your own children, Brian. Um, and so those four start the conversation for you to realize that they cannot be like blue because they're green. And the interesting philosophy is that for years and years and years, every generation turned blue, right? We all turned blue together, all we all were blue together. And again, I told you it's a bad analogy. The colors don't really work like that, but I'm trying to give you a visual, right? And um, as the yellow slowly came into our world in different forms and fashions, driven primarily by te uh, technology, by the way, um, Slowly but surely, we started we, we started to see a change, but we changed almost together, right? And so, you know, it's so, it's so fascinating when you look at all the generations that have come before um, Gen Z, right? There's a whole list of generations. So you get the you get the the greatest generation, and the telephone and the radio were the were was the technology that changed their world. And so what I'm going to quickly walk you through is that every generation, there's a technology that arrives that changes the way they live and ultimately who they are, right, and how they are wired. And so after the greatest generation was the silent generation. And for them, the Hoover Dam in America just changed life as they knew it. And then we went from them to the baby boomers and the microwave arrives. Sounds small, right? No, no, changed life as we knew it. And then... We have probably the greatest generation ever, Gen X, that yeah. arrived, and we have <laughs> That's right. the, the, the Palm Pilot, the personal digital assistant. And that was the introduction of something that was so foreign and so different that it changed the way we communicated and interacted with the world. And then, of course, we have the millennials, and I say that the millennials, because I always joke about them, they're kind of like Windows Vista. We wished it never happened, but it did. What are you going to do, right? And... <laughs> And I'm allowed to joke with millennials that have a sense of humor. It's great. So the internet arrives and, I mean, just fundamentally changes their world. And, you know, with that technology, it was all about, oh, let's take a selfie because the technology was so amazing. It was a toy, not a tool. And Gen Z, technology is a tool. That's a massive difference. You have to understand how big that difference is, right? And then, of course, comes Gen Z and the smartphone changed the world as we know it. And then, of course, right behind them, what we have is, um, alpha generation and artificial intelligence is already, it's already here. We just aren't aware of it in every form and fashion. So um, 
that technology fundamentally changes people, but the point, the rate of change is what is so, so different. We haven't had a chance for Z to be blue, little yellow turn green. They just arrived in green on, on the spot. And so that is why it is so hard for us to connect with them because we've always been in this general process of changing where they just happened to arrive on the scene where there was this truly a changing of an era. And um, again, our mindsets don't shift quickly enough. So we're still thinking second industrial revolution. We're still thinking that mindset of automation and steel and plants and whatever it is that comes with it, right? And we're already in the fourth industrial revolution. And so that whole process is just, you know, we, we're trying to square peg, square peg round hole. It's so real. It's just, we don't see it, right? We just don't see it yet. And, and you know, it's interesting. It's um, what we see is determined by who we are, <laughs> right? So when you've got a blue generation, uh, they see blue, right? It's just really hard for them to see green. And what I, the last thing about seeing, oh, I want to just say to you is this, and it's these are just great quotes, right? Because I made this one up. <laughs> Pause for effect there. So uh, actually, I didn't. A friend of mine did. What you see is not more real than what is true. So what we see is we see a generation that our teenagers going through a phase. But what is true is that they're not. They truly are a generation wired differently. They're green, and we think we're seeing blue. And so um, did that start to answer that question, Jeff? I, I, there's so much more. Yeah, uh, you're right. There's a lot there. No, you you really did. The the piece that, that maybe you could still kind of hit on that I really – that that I really remember that I liked was when you talked about how this group, their, their inputs are, are vetted and, and come from technology sources more than mom and dad ever did. Like you talked about, you know, I'm going to get on Twitter or, or, or Snapchat and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to get feedback from my peers and, and peers meaning very loose. I'm using that term. They could be anywhere around the world. They could be people you've never even met um, YouTube and, and Vimeo and things, as opposed to going to mom and dad, going to a bigger, older brother. What do you think of this? That the inputs they're getting are not the, what, every generation before them had. Yeah. So um, the first four things I shared with you are the perfect storm. And, and really, if you categorize the perfect storm, that's kind of their default OS, their operating system that they're born with, right? They're born green. So that's their, their OS. Um, I think the next kind of layer, which touches a little bit on what you're talking about now, is their, um, it's, I, I call it perspective. And perspective is just, um, things that are really important for us as leaders and parents to know about them, right? Um, and so there's really four things that fall into that category. And one of them that you've just, you know, you're you're really touching on there is this this concept of peers and um and and you're touching on 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 influence and you're touching on so so the so the four things in that category, let me say it this way is there's a thing called an eight second filter and curation. And so that's the way you start at the point. And then there's this thing where there are CEOs of their own life. So that's that siloed, on-demand kind of lifestyle that they've truly lived from, from day one. They've never lived another way. And that's, you know, parenting that's got them there. The third one is kind of influence, which has got to do the peers, which I'll talk about. And then um, the fourth one is what I call GPS. It's the how they're being guided and mentored and led. So, you know, there's this 
there's this process of um, of an eight second attention span, and and I I think I might have mentioned to you just two weeks ago. Or so I read a, a report by Deloitte. It's I read these all the time, and so as as often as they come out, I'm usually aware of them. Um, and Deloitte said that this generation has an eight second attention span, and so. Um, the joke was that just recently I read an article that said goldfish used to be, have a three-second attention span, or that's what they thought, and now they say goldfish, they think, have a five-second attention span. <laughs> so the goldfish are trending one way, and it seems like we're trending the other way, right? <laughs> but um, but the, the interesting thing is is that that eight-second attention span, Deloitte, if you're listening, you're wrong. It's not an eight-second attention span. It's eight-second filter. And so the point is is that, you know, with the, the amount of content and the amount of um, people information that is vying for our attention on a day-to-day -day basis. This is an area where we're all actually pretty green. Okay, so that's good. You, you get what I mean immediately. Mm -hmm. right? So um, is that if you don't start to filter out and decide what you'll allow in, your head explodes. You just can't process all of that, right? And so we all do that. We do it with emails. I was just doing a training session in, in Chicago for a company that is actually a recruiting uh, business. They, they, they recruit and staff. And in the break, I walk by a lady and she's just going through her email and she deletes three or four emails in a row. And I'm jokingly saying to her, you're busy filtering. And she's like, oh, well, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's the point. So that filter, filtering leads to curation and curation is what you allow in. Like, what do you consume? Um, and so what we have here is you take that concept and figuring that out as a leader. <laughs> good luck. That's why you need me, right, is to help you figure that out. But um as a parent, as a leader, you, if you understand that, then you can strategize, well, how do I, now that I get that, and I can actually recognize that even in myself, now what, I, what tools do I bring to that conversation, right, as, as a leader? But then if you look at it and you fast forward a little bit on those four, and you look at the kind of influence, the, the, which is, is truly the economy we live in right now, the economy is an influence-based economy. That's the currency of the day, right? And I'm not talking about influences, I'm talking about influence. There's a big difference, right? And so um, influence requires uh, permission, and permission is granted when you go through an eight-second filter curation, right? So there's that whole tie-in where we're now in a permission-based economy um, when it comes to human capital, when it comes to relationships, it's permission-based. It probably always should have been, it probably has at times been, but it has now been amplified. And so now what you have is you've got, um, you've got the peers, which has always been the case, the people that you grew up in your neighborhood, with and at your school, but and that's the argument that we we will bring to make um, the point that no, they're just teenagers going through a phase. But what is fundamentally different is that now we have a generation that is connected with each other, not just in the neighborhood, not just at the school, but globally, right? And their technology is the smartphone. And so that connect now happens seamlessly. Now we also have communication that is done through emojis. And so I don't even have to speak your language. We can actually communicate through pictures. Remember, what you what you see gets to your brain 30 times faster than what you hear, right? And so you've got this peer group thing going on. And that, the argument, oh, that always is the case. But here's the difference, right? The biggest difference is that what this has done is this has now brought to us or to them all recorded information in human history. Every known fact is here in the palm of my hand. Isn't that spectacular? We should celebrate that for a second because that is just amazing, right? And so now when you have peers that are connected around the world,
and you have them with all knowledge, right? All information, actually better than knowledge, all information, say there's a transition point that they're struggling with. The That is where this generation gap now comes into place is because I don't see the need for you, Jeff, Brian, in my life. I, why do I need you? Mm-hmm. Sales, I don't need you. I can figure that out. Uh, HR, what? No, thanks. I, I got it. And more mm-hmm. specifically, Mm-hmm. I drive a stick shift car. I taught my son it was a mess, right? And he went to YouTube literally overnight. It's a true story, literally overnight. And then he told me I was wrong and the person on YouTube was right. So <laughs> understanding that now what you've got is you've got this generation that's growing up. They don't yet see the need for the older generation for the reasons I've just explained to you, because they're not going to ask you, is this cool to wear? They absolutely not going to ask you. They're going to ask their friends. And in that same a relationship basis they well is this appropriate or is this not do you remember a couple of years ago when we were eating tide pods cleaning pods <laughs> right sure. believe me that didn't come from the older generation right but <laughs> okay so so you've got this thing that's going on and so that's why this journey for hr for leadership for managing for parenting is so crucial right now because if we don't understand on what a kind of an edge we are right now in terms of being totally shut out of an entire generation, um, we are right there. And if we don't prove our value and our knowledge and our uh, relevance to this generation, they will continue completely without us and we will be fringe. And we have such incredible legacy knowledge legacy wisdom and what this generation hasn't yet figured out is that what they're currently doing is they're celebrating this the knowledge they're celebrating awareness but they haven't yet got to application and so that's where our bridges start to get built where we can start to bring wisdom and insight in terms of application and then they're like ah you have value stick around in the same way and i'm just finishing this thought okay (laughs) is that when you go through the the filter into someone's curated stream, in order to stay in that stream, you have to continue to show up like we expect people to do at work. You don't just get in and get a job and now you get a paycheck. You got to show up every day. Well, guess what? Leaders, parents, you got to do the same. If you want to stay in your child's life or in an employee's life, you have to show up with value every single day to that relationship. Otherwise, when I go through people, I, I spend a lot of time on, on Instagram for whatever reason. When I go through Instagram every now and then and I look and then there's someone that is just, ah, they've fallen out of favor with me for whatever, gone, that they'll never be in my feed again. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the journey um, which is facing all of us. And it's a big journey, right? Uh, it, 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 the responsibility is massive, but it truly begins by getting a new lens uh, into who this generation is and why they are like they are. Because we always want to find fault and blame. Um, and when you understand that they are truly seeds that have grown into what they were always supposed to be, then you start to not judge them. I don't judge, you know, a, a cherry tree because it didn't give me lemons. The way around would be better, right? A lemon tree because it didn't give me cherries. It was always going to give me lemons, right? Mm-hmm. So Gen Z was always going to be them based on, you know, the yellow, green, blue thing. So mm-hmm. did that make some sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and when you when I have a real life example, because um, uh, our middle uh, child is going to, to college in the fall and she was looking for a roommate because she had one picked out and it fell through. And the whole entire process was done on Snapchat, Facebook 
um, yeah, in, in text. There was never a actual conversation, and they pick each other as roommates. I found that I found that whole process to be fascinating. Like, yeah. how do you do that? And but you're right, Steve. It's like how even how how do parents? I guess it could be business leaders too. But even parenting, you know, how do what suggestions do you have about diving into their? I mean, I think I tried to dive into their world and learn what's going on and and kind of assist that way. But what do you think? What do you? What are some suggestions about what? you know, parents and maybe even business leaders can do to kind of relate to, to Gen Z. So if we have time, we can unpack what I call an invisible curriculum, um, because the invisible curriculum is how you upskill and add value to an employee's life. And the reason it's invisible is because it's invisible. So they don't see it. They don't, they're not aware of it. And the reason that's important is because it bypasses the filter and it bypasses a curated stream, right? So what you're doing is you're in essence being um, Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid and you wax on, wax off. There's another deeper purpose, right? But to wax on, wax off, right? So that's the, the broad concept. It's obviously a lot more um, detailed than that. But, um, you know, that's really brave of you, Brian, to dive into it from a parent perspective because just bear in mind there is a, a, there is a reality um, I think the saying goes something like this, dentist kids have the worst teeth. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Have you heard something said like that, right? So, is that true? Is that I think t- I've heard that before. <laughs> okay, good. I just really made that up. But the, the, point, the point is just this, is that it's funny because we take our family for granted. We just don't bring the t- same tool set to bear very often when it comes to managing your your own family, right? And so what you would do at work with your employees to make them spectacular and upskill them and grow them into this, you get home, you're like, hey, get it together, go tidy your room, right? And, and that disconnect is there. So the reality, um, there, there's a couple of things in the upskill, and I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a really nice example. Um, the uh, At home, the one of the really good tools to bring to 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 relationship because remember this is all based on permission and relationship right permission leads to relationship at some point down the line that's what mentoring or gps is all about is it's it's how you get given permission to speak into someone's life so um so at there's a thing called mutual or i call it mutual uncommon ground right and so what i mean by that is when I'm trying to connect with my son or my daughter, the way to connect with them is not in an area where I'm an expert or they're an expert, because that just leads, leads to rolling of eyes and sighs. Oh, you kidding me? Want me to teach you how to use Snapchat? <laughs> no. Right? I'm being silly, but it's real, right? And so the place where you start to build is mutual uncommon ground. So, for example, um, it's not a great example, but I'm going to give you a good example, um, is my son recently really got into chess and I happen to be a really good chess player back in the day, but I haven't played forever. Right. And so we, even though it wasn't entirely uncommon ground, we mutually found uncommon ground to discover together, meaning chess. We had these conversations. It just, it just brought a whole lot of really cool conversations together, which just gave us time to connect gave us more opportunities for him to see the legacy wisdom and value that I bring, right? So that's a not a great example. I'll give you a good example. A friend of mine who's a business owner, um, in, and he, in this kind of a conversation, 
oh, my kids, I just wish I could connect more. I see the value, I understand it. So at the time, his son was probably 10, 8, 10, something. Let's say 10, I don't know exactly. But um, they would always have kids around at his house playing Nerf gun wars, right? So, um, and he's telling me about this and they go down to the basement, close the door and then shrieks and screams and tidying up for two hours afterwards because it's a mess, right? So, so I said to him, you know, because he unpacked that story, a different context. And I said to him, so what I want you to do next time they come around is I want you to dress like Rambo, put one of those things around your head, do you like, do something, right? And go down with your phone. And I want you to crawl around on the floor. I want you to video this thing happening, right? So he goes and he actually does this. Afterwards, they come, they upload the whole group now. They know they're on camera. <laughs> Believe me, it's a great place to begin. They know they're on camera. They upload it, they start to edit it, and then they share it amongst their friends. Not only was it a win amongst them, not only was there an upskill opportunity where he started to teach them concepts and they learned some things together about like how do you upload it, how do you edit this video, um, 10 years old, but he was the boss. Right. And I said in the slang way, he was the man. Right. And all the kids are like, your dad's the coolest. That is it's those kinds of things where you actually pursue them. Um, and that's what this is about. If you're not pursuing people with a heart that's set in the right place for a relationship, all of this is peripheral. Right. And so I think that's really in my mind what what the shift is about is it's about truly caring about who is in front of you one-on-one -on -one, and with a real heart and intention and an authentic approach to truly grow them, whether it's your children or your spouse or your employees, or that authenticity is impossible to ignore. And that breaks down so many barriers. But what we're always trying to do is just get the job done, right? And so it's it's really hard to 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 make that mind shift. So we do need to get back to leading and managing. And I think that's the process we're in right now. What we need is a catalyst and that catalyst is in place. Um, some businesses are not gonna survive. And because of this, and by the time they realize it, it's just gonna be too late. So. The thought that came to me as you were telling the story there at the end about the guy on the filming was an adage that that I certainly try to always remember from an HR perspective, and that is that nobody knows, nobody cares what you know till they know that you care. Mm. And what I hear you saying is basically we have eight seconds to convince them we care if we ever want to be able to share what we know. Yeah, that so fair? that's so real. You know, you you always as a parent have some legacy, uh, legacy is wrong word. So as a parent, as an employer, you have some bargaining chips at the table when you start. But I'm not a gambler, so I don't really know how that works. But you walk in with some chips, and you can lose those really quickly. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a great analogy there, okay? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> or you can put them and play them well and make some money, right? And that's the, that—that's what happens. You, you, most of us in these relationships start with a stack of chips. It's if you if you are not deliberate about your approach and your process you're going to lose them really quickly and then you don't get them back right you have to go and get some from somewhere else mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's the reality of of this i think I, I think for for me the the biggest the biggest thing is just we blew and to change our mindsets is is just so hard can i tell you the quick nfl story because it's so relevant 
it's sure. it's about three or four minutes. So I, you probably know some of the story, but I'm a huge sports fan and I've become a massive football fan as well because I live in the city where the NFL champions, um, Philadelphia Eagles, live. <laughs> okay, I, right. So we won a Super Bowl. It was great. Um, so in in nineteen oh five. Teddy Roosevelt was going to ban high school and college football. I don't know if you guys know the story. It's spectacular. So mm -hmm. he's going to ban it because of the, so many injuries. In 1905, there are um, there are 157 uh, critical injuries and 19 deaths directly because of the game. Okay, his son happens to be in college, and so he's he's wanting to 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 ban the game. And so he goes and he asks them. Basically, he meets with some of the universities and he asks them to try harder. Guys, you've just, you got to, come on, don't kill each other, right? Because this is really bad for the game. And um, so what happens is they implement a couple of rules because what from this trying harder, nothing changed, right? <laughs> the same data was in, in place in, in 1904, 1905, 1906, there's new games. And so what they in, introduced in 1906 is they introduced the forward pass. Now, I arrived here, didn't know there wasn't a forward pass. I'm like, well, are you kidding? There was never a forward pass, right? So there wasn't a forward pass, which means you give the ball to so-and-so and they run against this wall of monsters and they hope they don't die and they don't get through and they sometimes they do, right? So here we go, 1906, it's September and St. Louis University is playing against Carroll College, who's, that's now known as Carroll University. And um, the quarterback, whose name is Bradbury Robinson, not Robertson like me, otherwise I could have claimed him family, right? But Bradbury, cool name, Bradbury Robinson is the quarterback. And so this this rule of this forward pass was really controversial. Everybody hated it. It was like, that's not football. This is not going to work, right? What are you doing? So at some point in the game, he looks over to coach, Coach Cutchums, I believe is his name, and he gets the signal for the, for the pass. And he drops back and he lets the pass go, right? And Jack Schneider is is running, trying to pull in this pass and actually hits his fingertips and falls to the ground. And so that's the first pass in 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 football history. And what happens is they were so kind of uh, about this rule that if you didn't complete the pass, it was a turnover immediately. So can you mm. imagine stands, never mind the defense, offense, I, I think they both, they didn't have defense and offense at that day, what, I don't even know. And everybody freaking out, like, oh, now they get the ball, whatever, whatever. Okay, so they get the ball back a little later in the game. And this time, Bradbury Robinson, it's just so cool to say that name, right? <laughs> Throws the ball, and this time Jack Schneider catches it and runs and runs and runs into the end zone to complete a 20-yard touchdown. They go, Listen, now, this is the gold, okay? They go on to win the game 22-0. to zero. They go on to be undefeated that season, and they outscore their opponents – 407 to 11. Mm. Okay. Why? Because every other coach just did what they've always done. Every other coach just said, this is not football. Every other coach didn't look at the rules and what's going on and make the changes. 407 to 11. Mm. And not one coach made a change. That is the problem that we're the, the paradigm that we have to shift from. And so for me, any of these conversations starts with if you could just take some time to understand that these are aliens, 
then you will address them differently, you'll approach them differently, you'll understand, like what you've just explained, Brian, why communication is fundamentally different. Mm. 85% of the communication is digital already, right? Mm. So mm. they are never going to pick up the phone and say, hey, do you want to be my roommate? Well, what do you like? Long walks on the beach? No, they did mm. it through completely other channels. And it's never going to go backwards. And so it takes a little bit of time for the us's of the world to realize that it's it's never going to change back. We're all like, yeah, no, no, they'll figure it out. And then they'll figure it. No, they already have figured it out. They And they're not even waiting for us to figure it out. We will mm-hmm. just obsolete if we don't want to, if we're unable to keep up. And so that's what I call future proofing, because we're at a time where future proofing is critical. I think I told you guys this point, 65% of the kids that entered sixth grade this year are going to work in positions that do not yet exist. We don't know what those positions are. 65%. How are we, older generations, supposed to lead them? We can't even tell them what their job is going to be, right? So, and here we're still trying to say, stay in school, get good grades, you know, study math. Well, yes, study math. STEM is still the way to go, by the way. But um, uh, so so we've got this, this, you know, this, we're in this weird time and it truly is the wild west we haven't had a time like this in in generations where there's just such a seismic shift um and it takes people it takes people a long time to get it you get your early adopters um and and then you get your laggers your laggards mm-hmm. and and those are the people that may not make it back into the boat because um this I mean, this, the rate at which change technology and our world is moving right now and the rate at which humans are being required to adapt, lead, grow, sell, buy, is just, it's unlike anything we've ever experienced. And so there's just so much going on. It's so easy just to say, oh, again, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have time for this right now. And so yeah, that's where we find it. And that's not a negative thing. It's just, it's neither good nor bad. It just is. I'm trying to report the weather a little bit like that so that people can get a different perspective. That's all. Mm-hmm. Well, I was uh, the comment you made earlier, Steve, it kind of it's almost frightening a little bit too when you said, um, you know, like generation or you know, Gen, Gen X or another generation on the could be on the peripheral, just kind of watching what's going on because if we don't adapt and and kind of uh, come alongside, um, you know, these people in, in Gen Z and and learn even learn the technology pieces too and, and say, you know, it's, it's going to go away, right? It's, they'll, they'll figure it out. That's not going to happen. I, I, I completely agree with you. We have to, I guess, step up our games, I, I would think. I think that's kind of where it, it's going. But it's, it's not like you're on an airplane and they're coming, the stewardess or stewardess coming and saying chicken or beef, which would you like? This is, <laughs> you're in or you're out. Those are your options. Yes. But here's what's going to happen. How many Gen Z are going to come work for a business like yours unless you are um, in tune with them, zero. You know what they'll do? They'll go and work for a business where there's someone who is Gen Z who's running the business. Now, the youngest ones are 25. I guarantee you some of those already own their own businesses. I personally know some, right? 25 and under that own their own businesses. You think they're not gonna go work there? Also bear in mind that if you don't make this pivot, right? And I'll just use a silly example. I don't know that, but it's, it's come up before. If we're a coffee shop, actually, I'm speaking to a, a group right after this that, that one of the guys that's on this group owns a coffee shop chain in California, a few shops there. So we'll use a great example. If you can't tell me where your beans come from, 
how you got them, what they cost, that you didn't you didn't rob anybody to get them, and that how you're producing them, and that um, it doesn't fit that narrative is not compelling enough for me as a Gen Z. I'll go to somebody who is selling the the narrative coffee bean that I want, right? So this is not just about being relevant. This is about staying in business because they won't work for you. It's not only that they won't buy from you. Mm. <laughs> 360 billion, that's a decent number that most of us would like, right? Mm. To, to flow through our business on an annual basis. And so it's it's a really, really serious thing. And, you know, that transitional time, 2028 is a pivotal, a pivotal year because in 2028, alpha generation comes of age. And with alpha generation, what we're going to see them coming of age is just the timing lines are starting to really line up for um, for autonomous cars, for, as you can see, electric vehicles, um, those things are also aligning as to when that generation starts to come of age or comes of age. And you're going to start to see that the shifts that we think would have taken generations are going to be like that. Um, I, I don't know when, but just as recently as two years ago, it was this talk about, oh, you know, electric cars. This is not a debate whether they're the right thing or the wrong thing. Good for the, that, that's not it. It's like, oh, you know, how are you going to charge it when I go from here to Pittsburgh and da, 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 da. That's not a conversation anymore. Right now, they are testing, they're testing these hover helicopters for the 2024 Olympics. They actually exist. They're already testing them to be, they call them, I think they call them Airbuses, to be the taxis for the Summer Olympics in Paris in 2024. Mm. I will never go on those. Yes, you will, right? Mm. And so 2028 is this time when Alpha comes of age and Alpha brings with it an understanding of technology that Gen Z doesn't have because I don't know what blend of colors we're going to call Alpha, but mm. Alpha is yellow blending with some other color to become something else because they're tech they, will, millennials, Technology was a toy. Gen Z, it was a tool. For Alpha, artificial intelligence is their operating system, right? And so just the way they engage with the world and, and process things is going to be so different. And 2028 is just around the corner, right? And so, you know, from a business perspective, billionaires, the number of billionaires that are still going to be created, you can't even count, right? Because these industries... But the number of people that are going to go under where um, whatever that store business slash what is is just as 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 voluminous. It's a it's a crazy, crazy time we're in. So the understanding is critical because you have to be part of this thing. When I moved to America it, for the first three months, um, I was convinced that I would show everybody here that they're driving on the wrong side of the road. It's just like, <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> right. And so, we're three months later, I'm like, you know what? They're not listening anymore. Right. They're not listening. And so, either I'm just going to do what's right and drive on the correct side of the road, or I'm going to drive on the wrong side of the road like everybody else. So, <laughs> a terrible analogy. But the point is this if we don't start driving on the wrong side of the road, um, there, there really isn't much. There isn't much hope, and and businesses need to really be thinking about that if they want to be around in three to five years. Just because you're doing well today, oh, do you want me to unpack the blockbuster story for you? Mm, yeah, <laughs> Kodak for you. I mean, and I know those, mm. I know those details really, really well. Do you see that? Um, just 
now the reportings of Domino's, I think it was. I mean, I know it was Domino's. I think their reporting was they were down 14 or 15 percent um, this quarter. That is for for one of the probably four or five biggest food chains in the world. That is incredible. Why? Because they can't get people to drive and deliver their pizzas. But this is why I love Domino's. I don't love their pizzas, but why I love them is because two things are going on. There's an ad campaign that says um, a young lady who says, when I was 17, I started working in the kitchen at Domino's. I don't know if you've seen the ad. And then she says, and now I own two franchises. So Domino's have realized that if I don't start to change the narrative around what it looks like to work at Domino's, Domino's will not be there tomorrow, right? It's, I, that I'm celebrating. What else, what else are they doing? They've got no drivers. So now I don't know if you've seen the ad campaign. If you come pick up your, your pizza from us, we'll tip you like you were the driver. You know, like mm. the driver, how should give them a tip? Genius. What? Mm. We're talking about a company that is future-proofing. We talk about other companies that are stable and think, oh, this is never going to change. The beauty of Netflix, Net Buster, uh, Blockbuster story, is that there is now a documentary on Netflix about the last Blockbuster. It's spectacular. And uh, Jim Keyes, he said something along the lines, of, he's quoted something like, um, they're not even on my radar screen in terms of competition, right? Not even my radar screen. And I don't know what he could have bought them for, but wow, there's now a documentary on Netflix about their demise. So uh, isn't that interesting? Another thing we talked about before that I'd really like our audience to hear, because this was something that that I thought was very powerful, was I know we talk about generations. We have forever. I mean, it seems like as long as I've been in HR, um, there's always somebody wants to come out and talk about the next generations. But then I started hearing a lot more about, yeah, yeah, that there are some generational trends, but socioeconomic factors are almost as or more important. So two kids growing up in, in Gen X would have two very, very different approaches to their lives, depending where they grew up around their neighborhood or around their city. That was still true even with millennials and such. But this group is different. This Gen Z and the outgroup alpha, because of the access to technology, is almost ubiquitous. It's it's less significant. I certainly don't mean to suggest it's not significant, but it's less significant where you are living in town. Uh, and you and I even talked about, like in Philly, some areas that I think maybe you even had a story that some areas that just economically were so different from some of the more affluent areas yet the kids are operating at almost peer levels. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. There's always going to be those flavors uh, or those things that flavor us as humans, whether it's your food or your sport or where you grow up, and those things will never change, right? They always will have an impact on you. Um, do Are your summers spent this way? Are they spent that way? Those have to impact you. But what we try and do is we try and look at, I just looked at my uh, 23 and me DNA report the other day, and I've got a percentage of this and a percentage of this and a percentage of this and a percentage of this. So when we look at that socioeconomic thing, um, the impact that that has on this generation is less than it has been before. It's still significant because you mm-hmm. take away some of the the significant things that people navigate good and or bad on, on a regular basis. So you certainly couldn't discard that, but you know, what, what, what tech, and it's not technology, right? Technology has just given them this access. So what this access has given them is it's given them um, a much broader um, audience to 
to uh, to poll and um, learn from. Uh, there's a true story. I, I'm in the Amazon jungle in Peru uh, <laughs> with my family. Did I tell you the story? I remember it. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, tell it. And I, literally an hour up the a tributary on the Amazon jungle. And there's a gentleman who's walking with no clothes on, a machete because he's slashing thing and a, and a, a cell phone. <laughs> and that was in 2011. I had a, I remember to this day, I had a Blackberry in 2011 and I had full bars in the middle of the Amazon jungle, right? And so <laughs> that means something, right? It means you can watch your favorite goal being scored. You can watch, I mean, you, so, so that, uh, equity that ubiquitous kind of um, character, it's not, not the right word, um, theme amongst this generation is really easy to pick up. Whatever theme you like, it's available to you and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a flavor of it worldwide. I'm not saying that well, but, but, but to your point, yes. And no other generation has experienced that, right? right. And so every other generation will experience this, but this was the first that where we started to see this happen. And so they, they they share a lot of the same values. They they are incredibly cause driven. They have a perspective on what's right and what's wrong, unlike any other generation, which which I celebrate. And um, and 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 that's that's not going to go backwards. And so yeah, you you start to see in ways those ways how even though they're so different, they're so the same. And you can't honestly say that about other generations. I think, um, Steve, we want to transition over to some of the the fun, not, not that we've been asking fun, we've been asking a lot of fun questions, right? But uh, um, to, you know, some I don't of the know. He's, that, he's told us that all of us over 25 are going to be irrelevant in a, yeah, yeah, in a matter I, of yeah. months. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we should shift to something fun <laughs> as a 50-something-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> but Steve, maybe talk about how did you get into your, um, we usually say, how do you get into HR, but how did you get into your current role in the first place? Um, so I, I was a tennis player and a tennis coach, um, which brought me to, um, brought me to America. Um, and one thing that being a coach, um, taught me, which is why I don't believe coaching is, um, always the most optimal way of leading, um, I'm going to just hold it. There's a timeline associated. There's a time to coach and then there's a time to mentor, right? So there certainly is a place for it. But the point I was going to make was as a coach, I became really, really good at finding fault. I mean, I was really good at it, right? And so, uh, no, 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 you did that wrong. This is what you're going to do. And so that's what we practiced and we practiced well, how to how to find fault. But when I got to the to, to United States in that coaching position, um, I was in that role for about a year and then they realized I didn't really know what I was doing. And so they gave me an opportunity to join a, a broader business. And um, that journey took me through, that was a joke and you guys didn't even smile. I was really good, but I got a chance to get into the broader business. Okay. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so um, I was still hung up on you finding faults as a tennis coach. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the joke. No, no. I, I often try and tell jokes uh, when I'm traveling with my kids and, and when countries where they have different you know, languages, my kids just like, stop trying to tell jokes that don't work in other languages, dad. <laughs> dad joke. 
I've got to do it to just embarrass them. So, um, so I, I got the opportunity to go through um, within the business everything from HR operations, really every role, which was just so amazing. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, my my focus is still on where I spend most of my time and energies in the talent space because um, we're still in the business of hiring people, and at least for the foreseeable future, we are right. Um, bowling alleys in uh, you know in 190 what was it, 1906 or something? Uh, in the ni- early 1900s, they got rid of, you know, they used to have kids that would set up the bowling pins, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they they are the most future-proof business. They were like, these humans, they're going to be tough to work with going forward. Let's get a machine to do this because, yeah, <laughs> then we have to deal with it. So um, while we're still in the business of hiring humans and, and, and in that space, um, it's been an area that I've been really passionate about and I've spent a lot of time in and around that space and that's kind of how i landed where i am today hmm. so uh you've had a chance you just mentioned it to work a little bit in the hr space and do some of those responsibilities and you certainly have worked with a lot of hr leaders what misconceptions do you feel like people have about the human resource function <laughs> yeah isn't that interesting <laughs> i just feel like hr is always just a rule enforcement department in the clerical department. I look at so many org charts and HR falls under the CFO um, in, in a lot of organizations. And I'm like, that's just because you don't understand what HR is supposed to do. And so I think what happens is based on bandwidth and and, and just attention, um, we end up looking at HR from a perspective of really just getting done what needs to be done legally, um, compliance, and um, and checking the boxes. And I think that's probably one of the biggest heresies that we could ever do that. You want to dehumanize <laughs> HR, you were doing a great job. That's the way to go about doing it, right? <laughs> Let's make sure you got your I-9 form in before we <laughs> like, come on. But, but, but I say that somewhat jokingly because it's critical that those functions are in place, but I think the misconception, for, certainly for me, is that that's what HR does. Mm-hmm. And you've got a complaint, you at least have somebody shoulder to cry on or to complain to, right? And I just think that is, that is, those goalposts really need to be shifted. Um, so that's, I don't know if you guys agree with that or disagree with that. Oh, no, very true. And we've heard that from lots of our other guests. And yeah, 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 I would agree. Um, Steve, what is the most recent, you know, HR or business related book or podcast you'd recommend to the audience? Wow. Um, so I, I, I really, really read a lot, but, um, there's a book, um, called the, uh, million dollar coach. Oh, I'm going to butcher it. So I'm going to quickly look what it's called so that I don't make a mistake. The trillion dollar coach, not a million, we don't want billions, <laughs> trillion dollar coach. Um, I don't know if you've read it. It's about a guy who I didn't know, Bill Campbell, who was a, was a coach, a college coach, and he ends up being um, he ends up being the coach to some of the biggest names out there. Now, I I don't love necessarily all of his approach, but it was just a really insightful book um, in terms of just coming alongside people and 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 having healthy conversations to help them move from where they are to I guess where they need to go. Um, so I really I really enjoyed that read. It was it was really good. Um, do you need me to tell you the author? I can probably do that if you have it handy i never pay attention to the authors which is terrible right because 
and I, I very rarely pay attention to the name of the book as well, so forgive me. It's written by a couple of people, Eric Schmidt, um, Jonathan Rosenberg, and Alan Eagle. Um, mm. It was a really, really good read. If, if, if you haven't read it, I would, I would highly recommend you read that. Well, we've used the two-letter term HR a lot in our conversation, especially here lately, and we know that those words have, or those letters have historically stood for the words human resources. But if we had to ask you to come up with two other words that start with the letters HR that had the same general connotation, but were not the words human resources, what would those two words be? Well, first of all, that's fascinating that you even ask a question like that. So, I mean, that is many nights sitting on the veranda, sipping a glass of whatever you sip and thinking, now what else did we call HR? I, I could just imagine how that question surfaced. Uh, so, um, humans reimagined. That's what it should Ooh, be. I like it. That's a first. That one. Yeah, like, of course, it's going to be a first. What <laughs> We've had a couple that get repeated by different guests, but that's a first. That's good. I just am really passionate about understanding what the invisible curriculum looks like and upskilling people. Because you see, upskill is what's going to get retention, and retention is what's going to give you the narrative um, for recruitment. And it doesn't work any other way. And so when you think about upskill, we are reimagining what humans could be. And we're reimagining with them what they could be. That's what the HR department's supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be saying, Steve, that you're awesome, but we know how to make you better, right? Steve Austin, the $6 million man. Mm. Did you see that growing oh, up? Oh, yeah. 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 So I just, I don't know why I thought of that. So we, you're starting <laughs> off with this and we're going to make you better, right? Yeah. And, and so that, that concept, that, that journey of upskilling, there's a whole life cycle that you go through from, from curation and filter all the way through upskill to retention. That's such an important part um, of the journey is just re helping reimagining um, who they are and even reimagining what and how they do it. You know, I've had such a cool experiences where I've had a very set process in place to fulfill a certain function and where you brave enough, and I'm saying I'm brave because it worked out successfully. If it didn't work out successfully, I'd say I'm a fool, but right? In this case, it works out successfully. You give somebody the latitude to create and do it the way they want to, and they come back with something that looks different to what you were imagining, but the result ends up being good. Often it ends up being better. That's part of reimagining as well, right? It's just giving the most creative generation we've ever seen the muscles to create or the flex, mm -hmm. the freedom to create. You know how we talk about kids, how creative and cool they are, and then we quickly teach it out of them? Well, <laughs> um, that's what we need most as businesses. We need people to be able to reimagine concepts, ideas, challenges, and strategies. We need, need people to come up with really bad ideas that trigger an idea, that trigger another bad idea, that we end up with a good idea. And so I, I just love the idea of us reimagining who they are, who they are at work, because I want to reimagine who I'm at work all the time. And I, I really believe I do. So that's, that's what we should call it. Yeah. Well, I have a story about coaching in my own head. It's been running around and I didn't know if I was going to share it, but what you just said, I think I'm going to, you were just saying how important it is that we uh, allow people the room to make a new way, right? To, to find a new way. And it could often be better what we wanted. You mentioned before about coaching and a time for coaching and, and finding fault, right? Uh, so within um, 
the coach training that I've had through John Maxwell team, one of the stories they tell us, and I don't know the details, uh, but I, it's a great story. Hopefully it's true. Uh, there was a situation, I think in, in one of the new England college areas or something, they did an experiment and they took a group of ski instructors and they brought them in and introduced them to a group of students as tennis coaches. And they were going to teach these guys how to play tennis. They, they had no idea how to play. They, they hadn't played themselves. Their expertise was in skiing. And so their method of coaching couldn't be fault finding because they had no idea, even if it was done wrong or how to tell you to do it right. But through asking questions of the students and of asking them, did that was that the outcome you wanted? If not, how could it have been different? What could we do to get a different result? And just simply coaching in that context of and and just asking the right questions and leading them in their own way, the kids found their own strokes and they found their own ways. And they ended up being some some of the best teams that that school produced were when they had this this unique set of coaches and that had no prior tennis experience. And um, so again, if it's true, I, I love it. I, it certainly makes sense. Uh, but it, goes, it really speaks to your point, right? That if we'll give people the latitude and, and ask the right questions, that they'll come up with answers often better than we expect. You still have to be in that conversation as a mentor. You still have to be in that conversation, yep. right? And so yeah. what, do you have time for me to quickly unpack that? Or, or we, oh, yeah. Or, mm -hmm. So so here's, here's the difference, right? Um, a coach tells you what to do. A coach says, kick this ball into this goal here, hit this over here, right? And so the first thing you gotta understand about a coach is the timeline, the timeline is short, right? So I need you to do this right now. A coach, did I share the analogy with you of a, a carpenter and a gardener? Did I? No, I don't think no. you did. And we did okay. before and it's a great one. I'm glad that came up. So I meant before, I didn't mean today. Yeah, um, yeah you did before. So, so, so the, 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 the premise is this, that we, second industrial revolution, we've always been coach. Do this, take this, put it here now. So that, that mindset makes sense as to where it came from. In the true coaching sense, coaching team sports, it makes sense because we have a, um, a, a short timeline to accomplish something right now, right? Um, and the story about most coaches, including the one I just shared with you, have long standing kind of outcomes as well, right? So that is akin to, to the carpenter who takes a pile of wood and makes a chair, right? The wood has no choice in, as to what it's gonna become, it just becomes a chair or a desk or whatever it becomes, right? And so the problem with that from a leadership perspective is that that is where a generation like we're navigating now will never ever dance to that tune, never, because they are not designed to be a chair. They know that, right? Or they don't want to be a chair. And in the past, second industrial revolution, even leading into where we are currently, it's like, I know you don't want to be a chair, but you're going to be a chair. Yes, mom, okay, I'll be a doctor, right? Whatever it is, right? And um, and the, the, the flip side of that coin is the gardener, which I, I referred to a little bit earlier, where there's a seed that's planted and the gardener now nurtures that seed to grow into what it's supposed to be and cleans the weeds and waters and does whatever it has to. And the biggest difference there is timeline. So um, when you're speaking to, I, I was just speaking to a group of people um, that that had big events on kind of like a specific day of the week, right? And so they have a whole lot of staff that come in on a, on a, 
on an event basis, once a week or once every two weeks, whatever it is, and they have to perform a function. You can't GPS, you can't guide by the side, um, nurture them through a growth process over, because um, it takes a period of time. There you have to be the coach. I need you to go to section 111 because there's this going on and I need you to do the following. However, the people that are really smart understand that even when you have to coach, you can do that in a mentor style, which is just what you're referring to right now. And you can, and you actually must have the short term and the long term in play, right? So that leadership journey that we all have to go on, the biggest challenge with it is it takes effort and it takes deliberate effort. And we all have so much on our plates right now. Our schedules are full and we've got a lot going on. So the idea of having to come alongside somebody to nurture them through this process so that they can grow into this beautiful plant that they've chosen to grow into, just blows people's minds. Like, that? And who wants to do that? Like, just get it together and be, be what I tell you to be, right? That's the mindset that the second industrial revolution into the third is, has given us, or just do what you got to do, right? So, um, so I, I celebrate the coach, and I, they re, and I, this is not a knock on coaches and on coaching. I'm just using it as an analogy to show you how if we want to be productive with a generation, the only way we can do that is by being a GPS, a gardener, because what we have to really start to introduce is this invisible curriculum. And as a coach, you can't do that because the coach is pick this up and put it over there. Mm. And, you know, of course, coaches use invisible correction, curriculum, wax on, wax off, teaching in the skills. So that is a coach teaching using the invisible curriculum. But the timelines just tend to be the biggest, biggest challenge there. And then once you start to see um, the power of using an invisible curriculum, identifying an area within an employee, your own child, that you want to help them grow and build muscles. And once they start to notice those muscles, they don't even realize they've been learning that process. All of a sudden, there's a different persona that comes with that. It's like, whoa, okay. And so that transition is just spectacular. And so once you catch that and you taste and see that it is good, right? Then you start to change your management and leadership style because you realize that the fruit it's producing is spectacular. I'm just telling you already that that's what you need to do. I grew up on a in South Africa. We I grew up in a city called Johannesburg, but we had a farm about three hours away. And we used to plant maize and we had cattle and all sorts of things. And, and the farmers would stand around and talk. You know, if you're going to plow and plant now, this is what you've got to do and then you'll get your 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 crop right i'm telling you the same thing if you want to see a crop from your children and your employees you have to understand what you've got to put into the soil how you've got to tend it and there's some time where you know certain things are going to be more urgent than others um in part of that journey this is not skill acquisition if you've hired me to be an accountant and i can't do math we have a problem you're hiring me to be an accountant and you want to grow me to be a, a, a chief accountant a cpa a cfo well, that's a journey you're going to now take me through. And at some point, I will leave you and go somewhere else and somebody else will continue that. That's the only way. I will close my thought with this. The future of employment is never going to be the same again. I can tell you now. So um, we are already living in the gig economy. We have for generations outsourced certain components of our businesses, whether it be HR, whether it be finance, whether it be uh, marketing, we've outsourced. So that's not foreign, right? But what's now is going to be amplified is this, where you're going to have a um, an employee 
who wants to do marketing for you and he only or she only wants to do marketing for you um, on your social media channels. But he or she is not going to come into the office. He or she is going to say, I can do this in 17 hours a week and you need to pay me the following. Then I'm going to give my other time to other people to do the same thing. Because here's what the story is. When I work for you and I get to do marketing, you want me to do social media. Then you want me to do this buy, spend, marketing, advertising in magazines. I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to. So I'm going to find a job where I can do the part that I like for five different people. And that's how I'm going to live. And I'll be remote because I proved to you I can. Right? This company culture stuff that you talk about, the axe throwing that we're going to do, uh, I don't care about axe throwing. So I'm glad you're all excited about going axe throwing, but I don't care. Right? I've done it with my friends. I hate it. I'm not going to do it. This uh, drinks after work, like I don't need you to have drinks after work. I don't need to stand around with 11 people that I see once every two months. Well, if you saw them every day, it would be different. No, it wouldn't. You would, I wouldn't see them every day because I'm going to work somewhere else. <laughs> so so uh, understanding that, I don't think it's, it's not good or bad. It just is. It's not scary. It just helps us start to see what's already happening. Remember, what you see is not more than real, more real than what is true. What we want to see is that everyone's coming back into the office and going to continue jobs as they've always had. But no, this great break has given people a sense of like, you know what? What I really want to do with my life is I only want to do this. And I'm going to look for ways that I can do that. And the gig economy is allowing industry to do that because it's so hard to hire people right now. I will hire someone just to do my social media and not all of my marketing. Right. So there's that 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 changing of era that is reimagining for us what it'll look like. And this generation is driving it. And so I, I think it's really exciting. Right. Yeah. It's exciting. I'm excited to be in an autonomous car and fly in an autonomous uh, <laughs> taxi. I'm not scared of that. Yeah. Even if I am, I won't have a choice, right? So, wow. yeah. well, that's, I, I like that. Let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. It's a nice place to end it. And just want to say thanks, Steve. Uh, appreciate yes. your time uh, both today and when you met with us before. And thanks for joining us today. And also a big thank you to everyone who listened or watched our conversation today. We hope that you'll be back again. If you have any suggested topics or guests for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest yourself, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at inspiredinsights at truepay.com.